Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into the Wrestling with Wrestling podcast. We are on a journey of covering the crazy world we love, professional wrestling. And I am your host, as always, Matthew Two Sweet Glaze. We have broken into the business of wrestling podcasting. I am thankful that you are along for the ride. And so we begin where we begin every single week, and that is going behind the curtain. Each week we begin by peeking behind the curtain and seeing what is happening in the world of wrestling behind the squared circle. And we have to begin this week with the biggest news, and that is that injuries have bitten the wrestling world. The injury bug is in every locker room, it seems like, these days. Of course, the two most notable injuries we've had this past week, one is for Cody Rhodes, who suffered a torn pectoral muscle as he was preparing for his match with Seth Rollins at Hell in a Cell. And even still, he goes through with the match at Hell in the Cell, puts on a gutsy performance. People are raving about it. Uh, I myself, I had a hard time watching it. I was a little squeamish watching him in the ring because that that bruising was just so nasty and so just defined. It was hard to watch. And then, of course, on Monday, he was written off from the storyline by Seth Rollins with a fantastic heel maneuver of attacking him from behind after coming out and solemnly admitting that Cody was the better man and that Cody had made Dusty proud and having this great tear-jerking moment. Seth Rollins goes to the back. Cody makes his way out of the arena, and what do you know? Seth Rollins comes running down and crashes him with a sledgehammer. What a beautiful moment. I mean, again, just nasty and hard to watch seeing him uh, just grind that sledgehammer into that pectoral and poking again and again with the shaft of the sledgehammer. Just fantastic work. But that Rhodes, Cody Rhodes off. And uh, as I saw on Twitter, Brandy Rhodes reported that Cody had successful surgery for that torn pectoral. Hard to know exactly what the timeline is on that. Um, I've seen people choking that if he was John Cena, he'd be at SmackDown this week. But of course, most of us are just mere mortals. And so I'm sure Cody's going to do everything he can to get back as soon as possible. He's on a heck of a run right now, and I know that he's going to be dying to not lose any momentum. But really and truly, this week has done nothing but add to the legacy and the the aura that is Cody Rhodes. I mean, coming out on Sunday, just a fantastic presentation of coming out there, showing signs of not lifting that right arm of his, and then, of course, the taking off the robe and revealing that just grisly uh, black and purple and blue, every single shade of gross on that pec muscle, and then gutting out a performance like that. Really a tr- fantastic match. I mean, all Cody has done this week is just helped his legacy and is going to make it that much sweeter when he finally does return. I, I would think that the Royal Rumble is a great time. That's going to be about eight to nine months from now, I believe. And so that's a really good timeline for what my understanding of a torn pectoral is. And so. Man, if he comes back at Royal Rumble in San Antonio, the pop that that man is going to receive, dare I say, would be bigger than WrestleMania was. I can't wait to see it. But, of course, Cody was not the only one injured this past week. Uh, CM Punk of AEW, of course, the AEW World Champion, the newly crowned AEW World Champion, is out with some type of lower leg injury. There's been a lot of speculation about how that injury occurred and what exactly caused it. There's been some reports and some speculation that it was the crowd surfing incident that he did coming out on uh, Dynamite this past Wednesday, which is a really unfortunate thing and kind of goes to show just 
how precarious wrestling as a whole is the fact that he, you know, gets injured by jumping into the crowd, not even a, not even a maneuver in the ring or a, you know, a type of movement that would happen in wrestling. And so, uh, of course, hoping speedy recovery for CM Punk. They have announced and they've gone through this past Wednesday on Dynamite with a battle royal and then a one-on-one match to determine who's going to be the number one contender for the interim AEW World Heavyweight Championship. And, of course, John Moxley emerged from that. We'll talk about that more later in the show today. But, again, you just you hate to see injuries happen to anybody. You really hate to see it happen to the top stars in a company. But at the same time, it does allow for some really creative storytelling to happen that may not have ever happened if it hadn't been for the injuries happening to these people and forcing the writers and the producers to kind of think on their feet a little more than they normally would and to really kind of go some compelling television. I think overall, this week of wrestling was really compelling. There were some good stories told. I know there's a lot of conjecture about the pacing of some of these stories, but overall... I was incredibly impressed. And that really brings us into our five-star review of the week. Because as you know, it would be impossible to give a detailed account of everything that happened in the week that was in professional wrestling. And so instead, each week, we focus on the five most important things that happen in our five-star review. And leading off the first star of the week, I think has to be talking about the changing that happened in the Judgment Day. As you know, the Judgment Day battled against the quasi-bullet club at Hell in a Cell this past Sunday. Finn Balor, AJ Styles, and Liv Morgan against Rhea Ripley, Damian Priest, and of course Edge, the leader of the Judgment Day. And so we have this great match on Sunday. Uh, Not too much of a surprise about what happened. I think the only surprise was that somebody didn't show up to join the Judgment Day. But lo and behold, we come to Monday night, and they have an advertisement. They actually gave him the Cody treatment. This week saying that at the top of the hour, there's going to be a new member of Judgment Day appearing, which is a great tease. I love when WWE does this and kind of keeps you invested and something big is going to happen if you keep watching the show. And so we get to that time and Judgment Day comes out to the ring. They are gloating about their victory on Sunday and now they say they have a big reveal. After a few moments of pause, Finn Balor's music hits. To really what sounded like a bunch of confusion in the fan in the audience, because as you know, Finn Balor is an incredibly over wrestler. He his entrance is probably one of the most in, interactive and exciting entrances in all of wrestling. And so people love Finn. And so there it was a confusing thing to see him come out here really without any prior hintings at it to join the judgment day. And so even as the announcers are trying to make sense of it, you hear them saying, well, maybe this is a trick. Maybe this is a trap, uh, which is some great foreshadowing for what really happened later on in that segment. So good job by the announce team there and the writers. But Finn comes to the ring. He tells Edge that he has seen the light. He has uh, seen the, the virtues of the Judgment Day. And he was talking with Rhea and, and Damien about how he should join in with them and how great it would be. Which, again, is some great subtle telling of, well, hey, why are Edge, why are your two compadres having a conversation with this guy all night long and you're not even aware of it? Which is just some great storytelling. I, I, again, I know that people were 
upset about the 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 pace that happened to this turn of again ultimately Finn turning the judgment day on edge and attacking him but I think given the rate at which it happened which I personally have no problem with I thought they told a good story in that compact time these these little things of you know, even when Finn tells Edge how he basically had him beat and Edge is like, well, you know, what? you didn't really have me beat or whatever. He, he has that little look of frustration. It's already planting the seeds for this, this coup that's about to happen in the group. And so, of course, uh, Finn tells him he's happy to join and Damien gets on there and says, you know, we've been thinking a lot about things that have been holding us back. And then, of course, he ultimately ends with saying, Edge, we think you are the one that's been holding us back and they begin to attack him. Like, I just, I love this. I love seeing Finn get some direction. I think as a performer, he has been in no man's land for really, really almost the entire time he has been back on the main roster. And so I, I've just been so thrilled to see this and to see him uh, get to make that turn over into the heel territory. And I think really flesh out what kind of a, kind of a jerk he could be and kind of a, a conniving leader he can be one of the great things about finn is that he's not exactly a tall person and so you you put him with these two real kind of giants between damian priest who's a massive man and then rhea ripley he's also a really strong powerful woman and you have this kind of small maybe less imposing leader who's the the brains behind the operation i think it's going to be a great fit i i do kind of hope selfishly that next week they come out there and say, you know, we've been doing some thinking and we think that the Judgment Day is a stupid name. And so we're going to call ourselves whatever. They're going to call themselves as a pivot from that. But I'm excited to see where this goes. Of course, this will go into a Finn and Edge feud, which could be a really great match if they're given uh, the time and and the ability to tell a good story. Both are phenomenal wrestlers, phenomenal storytellers. And so I'm just overall thrilled to see what's going to happen uh, with this development here. The other thing we saw on Raw this week is that Rhea Ripley has actually earned herself a title shot against Bianca Belair, uh, seemingly at Money in the Bank coming up very soon. Now, this is a great continuation. I, I love when WWE uh, tells these continual stories throughout the night. And, of course, Judgment Day didn't start the night. But they were kind of the main thing that was the thread throughout the evening. The reveal of Finn, the the coup of Finn taking over the team. And then, of course, the culmination at the end of the night of Rhea Ripley winning the, the match to earn her contendership against Bianca Belair. And it makes you kind of wonder here. There's a lot of momentum going for the Judgment Day right now that maybe, just maybe, is Rhea going to be the one to take the title off of Bianca? Now... I think it's a little too early for Bianca to lose the title. Um, you know, you saw last year the story of her winning at WrestleMania, Bianca, of course, winning at WrestleMania, and then famously losing to Becky Lynch at SummerSlam. And so if we do that this year, we have Bianca again winning at WrestleMania, but only losing the title at Money in the Bank, even a shorter reign than the first time. Now, I know that title reign length is not necessarily the most important marker of success and winning and being considered legendary. Of course, you know, the the thing about Ric Flair is he's a 16 time champion. Well, he also lost it at least 15 or 16 times too during that run. So, you know, the length of a title run is not the most important thing, 
But I do wonder if it feels like they're just kind of giving Bianca too little runway to really make something great happen. She could be a champion who goes for a long time and she's incredibly athletically imposing. Uh, she's a fantastic wrestler. She could she could do a long dominant run and it make a lot of sense. But at the same time, it wouldn't be surprising if Rhea Ripley is the one who takes off the title from Bianca. Rhea is a person who Obviously, I think the company sees a lot of potential and she's so young. She's going to be doing this for a long time. I mean, this, honestly, the rivalry between Rhea Ripley and Bianca Belair could be the rivalry for the next decade in the women's division of WWE, which would be a fantastic thing if it is. And so, maybe this is a good time to start thinking of letting Rhea kind of get one over on Bianca or catch her by surprise or even allowing the Judgment Day to interfere in some type of way for Rhea to win but for Bianca also to not come off looking weak in the process. And so we'll see where they go with this. We have time to tell the story and I don't have to make a prediction right now. We'll make it, of course, the week of Money in the Bank, but I'm excited to see where that's going. Now, moving over to AEW for our third point of the week, we have that John Moxley is going to be going on to Forbidden Door to, fit, to challenge for the interim AEW World Heavyweight Championship. Now, we got there through what I could only call a convoluted mess on the way there. Of course, of course, CM Punk last week on Rampage comes out and announces that he has been injured, um, that he is not relinquishing the title, even though there's confusion around that, but that there will be a battle royal on Wednesday's Dynamite, and that the winner of that battle royal would face John Moxley for a number one contendership, or at least the, to qualify for this match at Forbidden Door. And it just makes you kind of think that it's another example that AEW really probably needs another person that is deeply involved with creative and also kind of an editor for those who are making the final decision. Of course, we have reason to believe that Tony Khan, the owner of AEW, or at least the the primary owner of AEW, is the one who is the booker at the end of the day, much like Vince McMahon in WWE. But it, it just is another example of doing too much and having too much uh, hoopla, for lack of a better word, involved in getting to a finish. I think about a couple of years ago when Finn Balor had to relinquish the t- the Universal Championship, the inaugural Universal Championship, uh, the the day after SummerSlam because of his torn labium. Um, hope I said that right. I hope it's I don't remember if it's labrum or labium. Those two drastically different things, and I can't remember which one's which right now. <laughs> but of course, he relinquishes the title, and you see we have this awesome fatal four way match the following week with all these men who were close to the title picture: Seth Rollins, Kevin Owens. I forget. I think Roman Reigns was in there too, and there's somebody else that I can't remember. Right now, but it it made sense because all of these people were close to the title picture. Of course, Seth had just challenged Finn and lost at SummerSlam. But it all, it made sense and it wasn't a convoluted mess. We knew, okay, these four, whoever wins out of here is the new champion. And of course, Kevin Owens comes out of that. A great shocking surprise at the time, but not far-fetched now left field. And that's exactly what we kind of had this past week on Wednesday with Kyle O'Reilly, who is a fantastic worker, is a guy who I think could be the next Daniel Bryan if they figure out his gimmick the right way. 
and figure out a way for him to be a compelling uh, promo and a compelling maybe baby face or heel, whatever they want to go with. But it just, it seemed like a record scratch to see that Kyle O'Reilly was the one who won the battle Royal. Now, there weren't a lot of people in the battle role who really seemed like they had a legitimate shot. Of course, MJF wasn't in there. Uh, Jungle Boy was not in there. There were some people in there like Darby Allen and Andrade who would have made a lot of sense, but it felt like they were missing a lot of their star power in the battle Royal. And so Kyle Riley comes out with the win and it just seems like he's getting ready to be sacrificed to the lions because there seemed like no way he was going to beat John Moxley, which really kind of makes the question of why didn't they just name John Moxley as the person who was going to challenge for this interim title? He was the number one person in the rankings as far as singles competitors. So I understand why he was there, but it just seemed like an unnecessary step to do this battle royal just for for Kyle O'Reilly to get sent to the lamp, to the slaughterhouse that was John Moxley. So it's going to be interesting to uh, so it just it makes me think of why did they do this? Was it just to fill time on TV? Um, was it just Tony Khan maybe thinking too hard about a very simple solution, uh, trying to make more intrigue for intrigue's sake? It makes me think that there needs to be somebody there that just tells him sometimes of, hey, what if we don't do twenty five steps to get two steps forward, and we just do the two steps that are most logical? I think that'd be helpful for him. I think that'd be something that could be a benefit for him and for the company as a whole going forward. But you know what? I'm not a billionaire. I'm not going to tell you a billionaire how to run his company. He's much more successful than I will probably ever be in my entire life. So Tony Khan, you do you. We'd love to have you on the podcast one day and talk to you about all things wrestling. So don't want to try to burn a bridge there. Just a concern of mine. The fourth thing we saw this week was that more big stars appeared for Forbidden Door. And of course, the biggest one this week that appeared was Will Ospreay uh, coming out to an FTR promo uh, and leading to a beatdown of FTR with the rest of his team. It was really cool to see Will Ospreay. I've only seen him a few times in the ring. I, I know he's a fantastic performer. I know he's regarded as probably one of the best in the entire world, if not the best in the world. <coughs> When it comes to performers, I was a little bit concerned that the reactions seemed tame to him coming out. And maybe that's just fans not being familiar with his music or his uh, production, which is a possible reality. But I mean, once he came out, people seemed to be more excited. But I just couldn't help but notice the reaction was a little bit muted to his appearance at the front of the stage there. But he's a big star. It's a great thing to see him. It's cool to see that we're actually getting a lot of the big names for Forbidden Door. I was worried at first when it was just Tanahashi. Now, no strike against Tanahashi. He's fantastic too. But he's not exactly the biggest name, I would think, that people want to see from NJPW. And so it's great to see a bigger these other stars come there and get the recognition and be a part of this big event. Now, the big name that was brought up, he didn't make an appearance, but his name was certainly brought up, was Okada. And so Hangman Adam Page has a fantastic match against uh, Fit Finley's son, I think his name is Dave Finley. I'm sorry if I can't remember your name right now. But after the match, he gets the mic and says that he wants Okada, that he wants the NJPW World Heavyweight Championship. And the fans got super up for this, for this announcement. Now, the question is, is Hangman actually going to challenge for the title 
Or is he going to get a match with Okada? Is either of those going to happen at all? Is this just him trying to kind of drum up some interest that's actually going to get a kind of bait and switch later on? We don't know yet. It's yet to be seen. Um, but if we do, what a fantastic match and a well-deserved match for Hangman, who many people said did not have a fantastic world title run, but has been the guy carrying the banner since Omega has gone away to heal up from his injuries. And so uh, I think this is a great thing to give Hangman, a great thing to allow him to shine potentially on this massive card that's coming up for AEW and potentially a chance to really kind of impress people even more and get himself back into the title picture through a strong performance. So I hope to see big things there. I hope they do Okada. He's such a massive star uh, against somebody who's been considered the best in the world at different times. And so it would be great to see him come and appear on an American-based uh, pay-per-view and to get that reaction and get that exposure for him. Uh, who knows where his future is going to take him. The last thing we have this week is that it looks like Matt Riddle is still on his way to a match with Roman Reigns. He has been calling out the bloodline. I told you last time we were together that I love seeing the intensity in Matt Riddle. I love seeing him uh, just kind of explore different elements of his character past the humor stage and giving a real intense promo last couple weeks ago on Monday Night Raw. And so it's good to see him continue in that process. I hope that he has a match with Roman Reigns, possibly at Money in the Bank, or maybe they wait till SummerSlam and do that match. We'll see. It kind of depends a lot on probably where Randy Orton is and his injury progress. Hopefully that's uh, not as severe an injury as we've been projected and maybe think it could be. But I think to watch Riddle get a chance to go one-on-one with Roman Reigns would be a huge thing. And would give us a real good litmus test on one, what does the company what does the company think about Riddle as a potential major competitor? And two, how does he perform in that moment? Does he live up to the expectations? Does he uh, flounder? Is is it is the moment too big for him? I can't imagine it would be. But we're gonna get to find out hopefully very soon. It'll be interesting to see where they go tonight on Friday Night SmackDown. Uh, as I'm recording on the 10th of June to see what's going to happen with that story. Are we going to get anything closer towards that match? Hopefully we do. Uh, Hopefully it means big things for Riddle. Well, as we wrap up our five count, we get into our next section called getting over. You know, at the end of the day, wrestling is all about getting over with the company and with the fans. And we want to know who the star of the week is and who is the person who's on the rise. We should all be looking for. So each week, we give you two uh, competitors. We give you two wrestlers, male or female, who we think one was the star of that week and two, who is on the rise and who should we be looking out for in the weeks to come. Now, the star of the week is a little bit of a bummer because he's going away. But obviously, I think the star of the week was Cody Rhodes. Uh, again, having that gutsy performance at Hell in a Cell with that torn pectoral muscle And not just having a match, but having a a banger of a match, like a really great match with that injury is amazing. And as I said earlier, only adds to the legacy and the aura that is Cody Rhodes uh, coming out on Monday, cutting that promo and then getting that beat down from Seth Rollins. I mean, Cody is over like Rover right now. And of course, it's going to be an interesting thing to see 
how long it takes for him to get back and what that reaction is when he does return. I think it's going to be a massive reaction when he does return, but we'll have to kind of wait and see here. And hopefully the fans will be excited when he has that music hit and that $20,000 worth of pyro go off again whenever he makes his way to the ring back for the first time from that torn pectoral. So uh, best wishes to Cody to get well soon and to recover well and to come back even bigger and better than ever. But the star on the rise this week, I think, is Rhea Ripley. We talked about her earlier in the night uh, with Judgment Day and making the change with Finn from Edge. She was a big part of that. She had that maniacal look on her face the entire time as they were just laying into him. Uh, it was cool to see that. And then, of course, to go on and see her win the the fatal four-way for the contendership against Bianca Belair. I think she's a star who is on the rise. I was surprised because she beat my other star on the rise and Alexa Bliss. I could have easily seen Alexa getting that title shot. But, of course, they went with Rhea Ripley. And so, I think Rhea is the person to be looking out for. And as I said, she might be the person who at Money in the Bank ends up walking out with that title around her waist and adding some more legitimacy to the Judgment Day as a stable to be taken seriously in this company. But we'll see what happens in the weeks to come with Rhea Ripley and how she continues to rise as a star. You know, each week I look back and I try to determine what I think was the most important thing that happened this past week. And we call this the high spot of the week. And my high spot this week is... If you haven't guessed already, it is Finn Balor, Fergalicious, the most amazing man, half man, half amazing, whatever you want to call that amazing little Irishman, taking over the Judgment Day from Edge, getting a direction with his career, getting a direction with his character, and looking just so dang cool as he does it. As you know, I think Finn Balor is the man. And I am excited to see him have a prominent place on the card going forward on Monday Night Rawls, uh, having an important part in each and every show. I I hope to see them continue to bring in more talent to the Judgment Day uh, through the the leadings and the abilities of Finn Balor to kind of bring them over to the dark side, so to speak. And we'll be interested to see uh, how the demon character plays into all this too as we go forward. Maybe we're going to get a somehow supernatural brood-esque edge versus the demon at SummerSlam. And wouldn't that be a cool match to see? But Finn and the Judgment Day are my high spot of the week. I love me some Finn Balor and I love to see the direction he is heading in. Well, folks, we have covered this week the best we can. Thank you for coming along for the ride with us. Here's to next week being even better. And until then, keep wrestling with wrestling friends. <laughs>